The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I mentioned uh, somebody already, but just as we transition to some time for questions and people sharing about what they've been learning in their practice at home, what's felt challenging, could share a little bit if you've worked with the loving-kindness practice this last week or if you've done some walking meditation, how you've worked with obstacles, some insights, how you're naturally seeing the practice showing up in daily life would be kind of interesting to hear from a, a few of you about. And uh, while we're waiting for people to come back from the bathroom, just a reminder that there are many ways to plug into the center because it's not easy, of course, to continue our practice on our own. I'm sure it's obvious that you know when we look at our wider culture, the general shape of things or momentum is toward distraction and frenetic busyness and obsessive, you know, getting caught and lost and things that ultimately aren't that important. But that's just you know how most of us most of the time fill up the space of our lives. So it's, if you really want to cultivate this practice, if you want it to be part of your life, then this, is, you know, this isn't just about mindfulness. It's true with anything you want to make part of your life. Surround yourself with people who are doing it. Right? That's why you need a center or you need good friends who are doing the practice. Because otherwise... To be frank, it's probably not going to happen, even if you really are finding it useful. And you'll see, as we take some time now, 15 minutes or so, to hear from each other, people share, and you'll see how valuable it is to hear people normalize what it's like to try to be a little bit more awake, a little bit more mindful in life, in your set, and in daily life. So, who would like to begin? You can say your name. I am recording tonight, just if that matters to you in your sharing, and we'll put it up on the website. So anybody want to share a little experience of the sit tonight or your work at practice at home or questions that you have about the instructions or about the practice? Yeah, please, start us off. Um, I wanted to share one thing I noticed and one challenge, both related to the loving-kindness and the thing that I noticed was that it is a very powerful way to deal with negative emotions and that it seems like it helps kind of purify them in a way. I kind of liken it to um, like making a campfire uh, when it's cold out. Like it doesn't make it so it's not cold if you're having a negative emotion. But um, if you turn and face it, if you use the, the loving kindness to sort of like uh, turn towards that. It's kind of like facing the campfire, and mm-hmm. and uh, seems to help me deal with um, negative things. But a challenge I found was trying to square when you get into that place where you're really feeling um, love and compassion for other people. Um, getting to a place where you can say, if you have to confront somebody about something, or you have to stand up for yourself or some principle. Um, trying to find a way to do that, if that makes sense, while yeah. still being, while still having that loving kindness in your heart. Yeah. But I bet some of you, I don't know if you're a parent, but some of the people here are, I'm sure, and uh, 
this is the art of being a good parent, right? You have to show up and say, or even a lover, partner, whatever. You know, sometimes we have to say things that are really probably going to be painful for the other person, but they, it would be destructive for the relationship for each of us if I didn't say it. So we're, this is a situation we all find ourselves in. And love is not weak. Love can be very strong. And love, being loving, being kind, does not mean we don't hurt other people. It just means we're not intentionally trying to hurt you. We're doing the right thing. We're taking care of ourselves or we're taking care of other beings. I mean, this is, such a, this is just in terms of criminal justice. Doesn't it make sense? Does it, do we need to hate the people who do despicable things, harmful things? No, we don't need, we can understand that given everything that was in motion in their life, their actions couldn't have been other than what they were, right? Can we oppose certain politicians without having to hate them or demean the people that support them, right? Because a lot of the reasons we're in the place we're in is because we take the easy way out, which is we throw people out of our hearts instead of saying what needs to be said, doing what needs to be done. And I liked what you said, too, about that image of the campfire and turning toward it, because it it really reveals this basic principle in practice, which is it really matters what we pay attention to. And in your example that you gave, you know, where you're outside in the cold, you know, how functional, how skillful it is to pay attention to the campfire. But you could be there at the campfire, but totally obsessing about how cold it is, or you could turn your attention to how nice it feels to feel the warmth. And then you turn around, right, and you let the other half get back and forth. But it really matters because, you know, we, we have that cliche about, well, is the glass half empty or half full? But if we spend our life obsessing about what's missing or what's off, we spend our life missing what's beautiful and appropriate. Now, we don't want to be sentimental or deluded, but just to understand in a very pragmatic way, it matters what I pay attention to. So what would be skillful, what would be balancing now in this moment to pay attention to? Because it really matters. right? And here's the last point I want to make from your comment. Like when we're feeling a lot of irritation or a lot of anger or a lot of greed, any afflictive pattern, mental pattern, psychological pattern, when in, in just a moment when the mind is aware that there's anger, the awareness of anger is not angry, right? Isn't that true? Like if you're feeling really defensive, somebody you know, looks at you the wrong way and you're feeling really insecure or defensive, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're really defensive or insecure. And you, in that non-judging, in that mindful way, the heart feels it, sees it, acknowledges, oh, this is being known. It's like this now. That awareness of the insecurity is not insecure. We're intimate with the insecurity. We definitely are feeling the unpleasantness of the insecurity. But the awareness of it isn't it, isn't the insecurity. Just like the mirror can mirror something 
back that's really painful, but the mirror isn't stained by what it's mirroring back. Right? You need to be doing something despicable in front of the mirror, but in a fundamental way it doesn't affect the mirror. And that's the thing about, let's just say, taking refuge in the knowing, taking refuge in the aware, awareness. Right? It's like freedom from the afflictiveness of that emotion. And you'll see this. I'm sure many of you have seen this many times already where you're caught up, you're spewing, you're swirling, you're obsessing in some way with some pattern, you know, something happened and you're stewing on it in a way that's not helpful. But because now there's some momentum, all of a sudden the mind is aware, oh, I'm stewing. It's like this. It feels like this. You'll immediately feel some relief And it's not like things have radically changed, but what did change is a moment before you were the one who was angry. Now, in a sense, you're the one who knows anger is like this. Anger is happening. Anger is being felt. It's just this feeling being known. It's just this mental activity being seen. It's just this. Well, can that be okay? Yeah, it's unpleasant. But can it be okay? Yeah. It can be okay because it's already this way. So I'm going to see it. I'm going to relax. And I'm not going to feed it by getting identified being the one who's angry. I'm going to stay in this wise place of knowing there is anger. And it feels like this. So there's already so much freedom in, in that move. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Who would like to go next? Yeah, please. Hi, I'm Megan. Um, so, for much of my life, I was a very like closed-off person, someone who avoided my feelings and conflict and like closeness with others. And over the last six months or so, I've really been working on opening up myself to others and to myself through yoga and meditation and. It's been a very overwhelming experience at times with the emotions I come up with and I don't know how to respond to them or how to handle them healthily and it's been really challenging for my relationships but uh, just today I got into a disagreement with a close friend of mine about something and I was feeling myself get very emotional about it and then had this just moment of clarity of You know, this is anxiety. This is just what anxiety is. And these are the things I'm experiencing right now in this disagreement because I don't feel like they're listening to my point of view, even though I feel like I'm right, you know. And it was just so rewarding to finally, like, feel that after months, I guess. So it's just great. Thanks, Megan, for sharing. That's a really good example of the fruits of the practice. And I think... We could all feel from how you shared your experience like the weight that evaporates when that wisdom, that mindful wisdom shows up just because we planted the seeds. In a way, that's what we do in our formal sitting time, you know, not continuously because we do space out, of course, and get lost in thought. But to the degree that there is some continuity of awareness, we're planting seeds. And then they're they're just going to sprout in daily life. And you'll just see different moments of your day where 
there's like awareness where you would normally sort of be lost in your activity, oblivious, on autopilot. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Who else would like to share? What have you been learning, challenges you've been working with in your practice, questions you might have that you'd like to bring up? Yeah, please, wait for the mic, Phil. This is really more a question, but I guess it's it's thing, something I've been struggling with, too, is when I do mindfulness training, I find it very, it's not easy, but I I find it reassuring that there seems to be always something concrete. But when I was doing the my, the loving kindness this week, it seemed more abstract. And and when I would try and follow a feeling of someone else, maybe that I had loving kindness towards, then I tended to get lost in in that pretty quickly. And it was harder. I just found it much harder to to deal with loving kindness than I had with mindfulness training. Yeah, and we didn't spend as much time on it, right? And uh, and the thing is that there's real need for kind of a creative endeavor with the loving-kindness practice because you have to find your way into it with image, with memory, with words. But basically, it's still mindfulness practice, as I mentioned last week, but it's specific directed mindfulness, you were directing the attention toward the object of love, whether it has the flavor of compassion or more the flavor of joy or more just the basic goodness, friendliness of the heart. And really anything goes, like what images, what person, what word, what memory we bring up, it's like totally pragmatic, whatever works. Because it isn't about the phrase, it isn't about the memory or the person. Those are just conveniences to rediscover that the heart has this capacity to be generous, to be connecting, to be including, right? This the actual feeling of love, the memories, the words, the images are all in the services service rather of actually feeling love in the moment, whether it has the feeling of compassion or friendliness or joy or equanimity. And so we have to be willing to explore. And it might, for a lot of us, it might take some jump starting. So, you know, later, this is centuries after the time of the Buddha, people, this is like the third century, so like 900 years after the time of the Buddha, they really systematized the loving-kindness practice. And they said, okay, first what you do, and this works for people, but you don't have to be this systematic at it. But the handout, the week five handout, kind of covers a more systematic approach. You think of a benefactor, the easiest being you can bring to mind, the person you find most easy to love. It's probably not your partner. That's People often think, well, I've got to bring my wife or partner to mind. Well, no, that they're often not the easiest person to love. Maybe your cat, maybe your dog, maybe your niece, or if you're a grandparent, your grandchild, right? Or some mentor that was really there for you, you know, when you're an elementary school student or when you're a young adult and really kind of just took you under their wing and were really generous in helping you. You bring someone like that to mind, right? And you remember like, you know what? I love you. 
I care about you. And it's the most natural and real thing in the world to go, may you be happy, because I actually want you to be happy. So you hold that person, that memory of that person, and maybe specifically memory of them being happy. And maybe if you're able, like some people are more visual, you visualize the person being happy, and you have the visual image. And then maybe you throw in some words like, may your heart be peaceful and relaxed and happy. And you repeat that. And, and what you're going to discover is like, yeah, not only do I know that I love them, I'm feeling love for them right now, or whatever you want to call that, friendliness toward them, wishing them well. It's there, it's real. It's not a made-up thing. Then, as soon as you start to feel that expansive, like an inner glow that is naturally generous, like a light doesn't hold back. Light goes out, and it's effortless, and it goes all directions, and it's indiscriminate. You might have used a particular easy person to get it going, but the love you're feeling isn't actually about that person. You think initially, oh yeah, I love that person. But when you actually start to feel the love itself, you realize it's just love. It just includes. That's what it does. It connects. It understands everything belongs. That's what love is. It's this expansive thing that has a capacity to include. And that's our meditation object. But it takes some creativity. And you've got to kind of just try some different things. One way to do that is to hear different people do guided meditations on loving-kindness until you kind of learn a thing or two so you can be creative on your own. So like when you go to Common Ground site on our website where all of our audio recordings are, it's part of a bigger website where there are literally thousands and thousands of Dharma talks and guided meditations of all kinds all in this particular lineage coming out of Theravada Buddhism, but the Western lineage, so from people in the United States and Western Europe. It's called dharmaseed.org. Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, seed, S-E-E-D, dharmaseed.org. Like, I think I have 700 talks and guided meditations there over the years. You know, they all get put up there. And a lot of the famous, more famous insight meditation teachers in this tradition like Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and Tara Brock and you know, people who've been teaching in this tradition for a long time. All their talks or meditations are up there. So you could just search for loving kindness and then you know, over the course of a couple months, listen to different guided meditations, see all the different creative ways that people evoke, rediscover that feeling of love and hold it. And then you can be independent. Then you'll be wean yourselves off of using the guided meditations. And of course, you can also do the same thing with mindfulness practice, awareness practice too. So you're not just hearing my guidance, but you're hearing others. And then you're going to find your own way because the whole point, of course, is to become independent. Now, all of these talks, not this session, I mean, I'm recording tonight, but I recorded last fall Those talks are up, but I didn't record week six, so that's why I'm recording tonight. So you can always go back and listen to those or just come back to more of the intro classes. You're always invited, even if it's just coming back for one week in the next series that's going to begin, I think, the second week, second Tuesday in March or something like that. You're always welcome to come back or in the summer or two years from now or whenever.
to refresh. And there are other ways to plug into the community here. But we have time for one more person at least to share, and then I'll talk a little bit before we end about taking the practice into daily life. But other things people have been learning, questions that you have, successes, yes, please. You mentioned a couple times the sort of parental energy that can come in. And I've noticed that, and I've also noticed a sort of puppyish energy. Oh, what are we doing now? What are we looking at now? What's going on now? And I find it very hard to get away from. It's like there's a mime in front of the mirror who's trying to be the reflection I'm looking at. Can you suggest any strategies to use for that? Yeah, that's a really good question because... Like you suggest, um, the practice is always going to get contaminated. Old patterns of the personality are going to, inevitably, they're going to express themselves in our sitting practice. And the key is always to name them or to notice them as just something being known. And so there's a real art because it will feel like it's you meditating, but it's not. And you know how you know it's not you meditating? Because you know it. So in a sense, it's not the subject, it's not the knowing, it's not the awareness, it's an object that's being known. So when you know, notice that kind of neurotic coach who's telling you how to practice, right? Well, if it's something that can be known then you're doing what you can do. You just know it. Oh, and can really help us to frame it by sometimes labeling it, especially initially if you can put a a label like you did, puppy dog. Oh, that's the puppy dog. Puppy dog is being known. It's just that pattern of mind, of the conditioned mind, the habit mind, that is arising and it looks like this. And then just check, is there any sort of emotional feel, charge to it? Oh, it feels like this. So it looks like this, has this charge. Well, can it be okay that this is being known? Because it's not the knowing, it's the object that's being known. So can I let it be nature instead of thinking it's me? Right? It's nature. It's just the nature of causes and conditions for there to be that sort of neurotic puppy dog or that controlling parent telling me, And I know what I'm doing. You don't need to tell me what I'm doing. But we don't want to argue with the parent because then we've just created the rebellious teenager, right? (laughs) Then we just got two people there. Instead, just notice the parent. Oh, there's that parental energy and it feels like this. Well, can that be okay? Because the idea, the operating ideal is that everything belongs. We don't need to get rid of anything. We just need to understand that it's something being known. Now this is being known. So in a way, we're always sort of drawn into the entanglement, but every moment of the practice is, in a sense, stepping back and going, this is just something being known. And then we feel, oh, that's just something being known. right? So it seems messy. This end of the practice where we're dealing with different objects and a lot of distractions, it feels really messy, but there's a lot of learning, a lot of insight. So even though there may not be as much calm as when we're just sort of working with our more directed meditation, we're turning, we're coming back and we're feeling the touching as the breath comes in, 
we're feeling the touching at the nostrils as the breath goes out or feeling the rising of the belly as the breath comes in, feeling the contraction as it goes out. We can maybe have a stronger sense of calm when we have a more directed using a meditation anchor. But sometimes that's just not going to be available and it will be messier, but that doesn't mean we're not learning a lot in the set. So at the end, what's important is you're learning about the mind, that it's just stuff being known, that you don't have to be attached to the objects like the sensations, the sounds, the emotions, the thoughts, the content of the thoughts, because it's just, as one teacher, one important teacher in this tradition, it's just empty phenomena rolling on. It doesn't seem that way. It seems very personal, right? But just keep observing in an honest way, and you'll see, no, it's just causes and conditions. It's just stuff being known, and all this is being known. And some of the stuff being known appears to be very sublime, like, wow, that's amazing. And some of it seems really sort of stupid, right? Don't you have really kind of stupid thoughts sometimes? Like, why is the mind thinking that? Well, it doesn't really matter because it is, and it's just something being known. Sometimes the thoughts are really wise. That's a wise thought being known. Sometimes they're really stupid or despicable. That's a despicable thought being known. So we're at this kind of practice, we're not evaluating the object. What's important about the object is that it's being known because that's the non-attachment, noticing that it's being known. In normal life, we're always evaluating the objects of our experience. So I like this experience. I want it to last. Or I don't really care about this experience. It's pretty neutral. It could come or go. I don't care. Uh, this one's terrible. This one's great. But in practice, this is being known. That's being known. This is pleasant. That's unpleasant. This is neutral. It's just stuff being known. It's just this. Now this. And it's like we're noticing the endless flow. Right? There's a sensitivity what we call awareness, and things are coming and going and being known. And we're really learning to inhabit that space, and it takes practice because we're used to being in a reactive relationship to things coming and going, personalizing everything, ignoring the neutral, holding on to the pleasant, hating the unpleasant. Right? But we're shifting out of that habitual space into it's just stuff being known. So let me say a little bit about the handout for week six, which is really about how to take it into practice. And what in these last 10 minutes, I'd encourage you to actually establish some resolves in your mind as I go through these five steps, like how that might look in your life. Because if you don't sort of think, oh yeah, I, I do want to do that, that would be really neat to do, and kind of imagine as I'm talking what that would look like, you probably, even if it seems like a good idea to you now, you won't do it. And then not only do you have to sort of make the resolve now, tomorrow morning it'd be really good to look at these six or one of or two of these things from this list, list of five steps to take the practice into daily life and re-remember them tomorrow morning and then again tomorrow evening and then again you know, on Wednesday or on Thursday. So you're remembering it a number of times and then it will be a habit to do it. So here they are. First one is you have to practice remembering what the practice is. In fact, that's the hardest thing. 
is remembering to practice. So by now, you know, I could test one of you. We have enough time, you know, like, so what's the practice? You know, and you should be able to give yourself a two or three sentence answer. And it doesn't always have to be the same. It's not like you're parroting what Mark would say. You really want it to come out of your own understanding. Okay, what is the pra- what am I doing in my practice? Well, I'm learning to rely more and more on this natural capacity that we could call awareness, learning to, in more moments of my waking day, take refuge in that the moment is being known, and to notice what that's like, like to notice the karmic implication of being mindfully aware, like how much more freedom, non-attachment there is, how much more space, how much more clarity about different choices that are here in this moment that I would otherwise not be aware of. Right? So you want to not just appreciate awareness, mindful awareness, but appreciate how many possibilities that come when we're aware, awake. So that's just one. But if you ask me in, a, in 10 seconds to give a definition of the practice, it would sound different. Yeah, you know, I'm sort of that beautiful, stable presence, mindful presence that isn't judging, right? That would be another, or not clinging. But how are you going to remember your practice? And what are the little tricks? You know, you're going to put a little note on your computer screen? Or here's another trick. People write a little note to themselves, like, be open. And they put it in their pocket. And so every time you put your hand in your pocket, you go, oh, yeah, I can open to this. Right? Or if you tend to be an aversive type, you could have the word soft. <laughs> Soften, honey. Right? That, you know, and you could just remember it. So the how are you going to remember? It might be like a line of a teaching that really resonates. And you remember, you can repeat it back to yourself. So you have to find ways to remember the practice. That's how you're going to practice during your daily life. You have to remember. This connects back to having friends that are as into the practice as you are, right? Or even, preferably, more into the practice than you are, right? So if you don't have those kind of friends, then you have to hang out at a place like Common Ground until you make those kind of friends. Because the odds of you finding them out there are not great, but the odds of you finding them at a place like Common Ground, and there are other nice Buddhist meditation centers in town. Common Ground's not the only one. There's, there's about a handful of pretty together uh, Buddhist meditation centers. So they, they all have different flavors. Some are in the Zen tradition, and they're going to seem like sort of Zen centers, and some are in the Tibetan traditions, and they seem more like they have sort of Tibetan. The centers, the t- um, centers that come out of this tradition, insight or Vipassana meditation, because they got established by Westerners going to Asia and bringing the teachings back, they have less of an Asian feel. But a lot of the Zen centers and Tibetan centers will have more of an Asian feel to them, rituals and things like that. But that's okay. The, the essence of the practice, learning to not cling, will be the same. But that's another way to help you remember. Start having relationship to a center, to teachers, to friends that practice, books you like, things at home that remind you of the practice. Right? There's all kinds of tricks. That's number one. 
remembering the practice. Number two, and do this right now, think of something that happens regularly, at least three times a week, let's say, that's challenging for you. Maybe traffic. It may be a couple times a week you have to meet with a person that you find really disagreeable, that pushes your buttons. It may be that you hate washing dishes or that you, you know, hate having to clean up after your partner. So a challenging place in your life and decide right now, and then you're going to have to remind yourself many times so it gets to be a habit, this isn't a problem, this is a teacher for me. Just choose one, and don't choose the most difficult place in your life, just something that's slightly irritating, slightly challenging for you. So do it now, because if you don't do it now, you're going to forget to do it. And then what you want to do is visualize a few moments, a few seconds before you enter that, as if a little mindfulness bell goes off in your heart, in your mind, like, okay, honey, remember, this isn't a problem. This is a teacher. It's a place to practice. And the way to practice isn't like to have a strategy how to make this not a problem. The practice is to be intimate. That's your sword. You don't go in like, okay, I'm going to finally figure this thing out and do it right. No, you're entering the interaction or whatever that difficult thing for you is, like traffic. You're entering it with an open, balanced, non-judging, undefended, sensitive heart. Total exposure. But you're not weak. You can respond, you know, like the point you were making, right? But the response, like what you say, how you show up, what you do, it's going to come from being open, from being undefended, from really sensing what's moving in this moment around you and in you. By being aware, being intimate, how else are we going to know what the appropriate response might be? So instead of trying to figure out, okay, now what should I do in this situation? You tell yourself, I know what I'm supposed to do. Practice being mindfully aware. I'm going to, so now imagine yourself in the situation you've decided is going to be your teacher. Imagine, visualize yourself not doing it right but being really sensitive in a non-judging way, willing to feel what you're feeling in that situation, willing to see what's moving around you, willing to see that any, if your situation involves other human beings, like don't think of it, oh, that's that person. No, that's that stream of causality, of causes and conditions, can't be other than what it is right now. Given everything that's in motion, None of us can be different than we are right now. It doesn't mean we're off the hook. It just means that's just a bottom line truth, right? That people are just doing what they're conditioned to do. We have to see that and let our response be arise out of knowing that's true about us or true about everybody. Right? It's hard to be mean when we realize that. So everyone have a, te- a new teacher in your life? Now remember, if you don't keep repeating your resolve to want that to be a teacher, you'll forget it. So like in the morning before you get out of bed, oh yeah, what was that thing? Oh yeah, he said to choose a difficult place. What did I choose? Oh yeah, so traffic or dishes or that person or this situation. 
being with my mom or whatever it is. Okay, and I'm going to remember, and I'm not going to try to do it right. I'm going to try to really be there, awake. Since I'm, I'm going to try to feel and see what I haven't felt and seen in those in that kind of situation before. Each time, three or four times a week, maybe even every day, that that situation arises, the resolve is to see something I haven't seen before, learn something I haven't learned before about what's moving in me and around me, right? And to start seeing it and feeling it as a conditional unfolding. It's lawful. So if it's always messy, if it's always difficult, it's because we haven't been seeing it. Now there's more here. Three, I'll just mention, um, take a time every day to relax. You have to practice relaxing. If I could change the world, one thing I would do is starting in preschool, every person would practice 15, 20 minutes a day to relax. Remember, I don't know about you, but my generation, when I was in kindergarten at Loring Elementary in North Minneapolis, you know, whenever that was, 1962 or three. When I was in kindergarten, we practiced napping every day. We had the little mat. Some of you do that? You carried the little mat. You down. So if I had done that every day, now being 58, I'd be pretty good at relaxing. Can you imagine, literally, if we spent just 10 minutes every day practicing as best we could to relax, which, by the way, is pleasant, we would be so good at putting down the burden. Now, this is not the same as mindfulness practice, but it's so much easier to have insight into what's happening when we know how to relax. So find a time every day. If you have an office that you can close the door, then just like, especially in the middle of the day, it's a good time. Just go, if you haven't done yoga, there's a simple pose. It's called savasana. You're lying on your back, little pillow if you need to have your spine in alignment, arms comfortably to the sides, legs comfortably apart. Often you're going to want a blanket over you, and you just lie down there on carpet or a mat, preferably not a bed because you'll fall asleep, right? But, you know, if that's all you have, then use that. And you lie down for 5 to 15 minutes, generally not longer because you get groggy. And you just pay attention to how good it feels to let go to relax, to not have to hold the body up. Feel the pleasantness of putting it down. And when you're neurotically pick up the world of problems, put it down again. Keep putting it down for that 5 to 10 minute, 15 minute training period every day. You have to do this. It's really, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's insane that human beings, unless you're in a sort of life and death situation in your life and you literally don't have the time because you can do it i mean if you only have four minutes do it in four minutes this is not your meditation time by the way mm-hmm. well ideally i mean if you haven't done it before bedtime then do it at the beginning of your bedtime and just that's do it at the beginning of your bedtime anyway that's a good way to go to sleep and you can do about there's all kinds of techniques you can use so you can learn you know just google deep relaxation technique some involve breathing. A lot of them involve body scan meditations like we did at the beginning of our sit tonight. You can use some of those techniques. But the important thing is the real object of that deep relaxation meditation is the pleasantness 
of relaxing, which is why it shouldn't last long, because it isn't pleasant after a while. Right? When you lie down, it's really pleasant for a while. But five, seven, eight minutes in, it's not that pleasant. And after 12, that's why it's good to lie on the floor, a carpet or a mat, because you don't want it to be too pleasant, just pleasant enough to really pay attention to that for a while and to use the pleasantness to put everything else down. Because when your mind is absorbing, paying attention to the pleasantness, it's not doing anything else. Now, I have to leave it here because we're a few minutes after, but you can read the handout from week six and get the other habits and, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, habits to sort of support your daily life practice. I wish you all a lot of luck in your practice. Please use the center. If you have a moment, these folding chairs can go down the stairs to the right. To the right. Good luck. You're welcome. Oh, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Say your name again. Say your name again. I'm Johnny. Johnny. I'm friends with Simone Charles Walker. Oh, yeah. Where is she now? She's in Seattle. Uh-huh. Doing her internship or residency. Is she in residency? Or? No, she took a residency. Oh, she did. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.